0: What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. Song of Psalm chapter two. What I want you to do is, I want you to kind of, kind of look at. We're gonna we're gonna do a quick uh, prayer through uh, because one of the things that. Um, For me, uh, growing up as a believer, everybody's talking about quiet time, quiet time, quiet time, but what does quiet time look like? What does that look like? What does journaling look like? So sometimes I just kind of open up my my life to you, my prayers to you, uh, not because I'm trying to, to, to draw attention to myself or anything like that, but just to be an example. As Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. The disciples, they saw Jesus praying, even though Jesus said, go in your closet and pray, they witnessed him praying and they said, wow, I wanna pray like that. Will you teach me how to pray? And he said, hey, pray like this. Our father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. And he begins to teach him, but they saw something In him. And so let's look at Song of Songs, chapter two, verse one. And I since we already did one through four last week, I just want to we what we want to do is we want to make this book a prayer. So it is not just knowledge, it's not just a mental ascent, it is a prayer, it is a cry of our hearts so that we burst forth with a love and affection for Jesus, so that we receive right? We know love because he first what? Love us. Loved us. Where's that found? Hey, yeah. We, hey, we went over that last week. I was actually going to do this. I was like, hey, babe, give me like two $20 bills, and I'm going to throw up a $20 bill, and I'm going to say, who can give me the first verse without looking at your phone or your notes that I quoted last week, the first verse we went to, and not only that, quote it. I don't, she, my wife doesn't give me money. I will, I'll find some money. Al has money. He's going to give me 20 bucks. Who can stand up and do that? Now, if you looked at your phone, don't lie to the Holy Spirit. Kinda, it's kind of awkward, ain't it? That's okay. First Corinthians 16, verse 14. Do everything in what? Love. See this is the thing we in, in our society we move too fast and we don't ask God to burn 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 your word into me be let your word be like a hammer that breaks the rock of my heart let your word be like a fire that is shut up in my bones so that I cannot keep silent that's why I can't end a sermon on time cuz he answered that prayer I can't be silent I'm just kidding I'm joking Here we go. Song of song 2.1. It says, I'm a rose, I'm a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valley. So Jesus, as we are on this journey with you, we just acknowledge that we are your bride. You have paid the highest price with your broken and bloody body on the cross. You've purchased us forever. We are your rose. We are beginning to blossom by believing what we are here, a lily of the valley. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 2, as a lily among brambles, so is my love among the young women. Even though, God, we don't see ourselves as you see us, you see us as if we're not a lily of the valley, but a lily surrounded by thorns a lily surrounded by things that are cursed, we continue to cry out to you and ask you that you would help us hear and believe what you have declared over our life. May your voice, God, be above every other voice in our life. May it resound in and through us so we truly, truly take in how you see us. Verse three, as an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so my beloved among the young men, with great delight I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my my taste. Jesus, we ask for a deeper experience with you. A deeper experience so that we delight to sit at your feet. It's not a have to. It's not a chore to get into quiet time, but it's a delight to sit. You've challenged us with Psalm 34, 8, "'Taste and see that the Lord is good.'" That that is you putting putting this gauntlet down. Come and experience me. Come and sit in my shade. My fruit is sweet to your taste. Psalm 119 declares over each one of us. Psalm Psalm 119.03, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And Jesus, honey was a very sweet thing back then. It still is. It wasn't that fake sugar that we see all the time. It was that pure and undefiled thing, and you are declaring that your word is honey. It's honey on my lips. And so, God, I just pray for those here where they've done quiet time over and over again, and it's boring. They feel like it's boring. They feel like they speak, and then you don't ever answer. But here, God... We pray against that in the name of Jesus, and we renounce believing that we cannot experience our God because your word declares that we can experience you, that we can taste you, that your word is honey on our lips, that, that, that with great delight we will taste you, taste and see that the Lord is good. And God, I just stand before my brothers and sisters that I have tasted, and he is good. And so good, nothing else in this world satisfies. Nothing else. Nothing else, God. And so come and do this in us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Verse 4, he brought me into his banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Jesus, thank you. You've invited us into your table, your house of joy, your house of wine. You have prepared a banquet for us. Even in the presence of our enemies, we get to sit down and eat. May we find comfort that we have been invited in to your house. He brought me in. Yeshua, you have brought me in. You have brought us in by your broken body, by your blood. Because of your love, you've brought us into your house, and we are your house now. And we will dwell in your house forever. Thank you, God. We pray for joy. Joy, God. In your presence, there is a fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And so, yes, God, thank you for bringing us into your banqueting house, God. Thank you. And God, I pray as well. That your banner over us is love. Help us to and convince us that despite what we do or don't do, our behavior, our issues, nothing changes in how you see us. That's right. your banner over us is love. It doesn't matter if we failed. It doesn't matter if we've messed up. Your banner over us is love. And I pray, God, in the name of Jesus, that you would raise the awareness of this reality in our church so that we walk with a constant, overwhelming sense that your banner over us is love. And God, when we truly believe that, when we are truly convinced of that, when we're truly aware of that, please, God, by your grace, get us out of ourselves and see and look at our brothers and sisters in Christ, and may we see that banner over them is love. Even when they reject us, even when they let us down, even when they don't do what they say they're going to do, even when they don't show up, even when they don't call back, your banner over them is love. And forgive us, God, for judging our brothers and sisters when we've had a log in our eye. Help us to get that log out and put that banner over them and then get the speck. Help us, Jesus, in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You know what was funny is I've got this on my screensaver, so every time I hit my phone this week, boom. Jeremy, I don't know if you still have that picture from last week, you throw it up if you do, and just keep it up, man, because hey, his banner over me while I'm speaking today is love. So it doesn't matter if you think this is a good message or not, I don't really care, because his banner (laughs) over me, it's love. As pastors, let me open myself, right, Our, we know that if we do a horrible series of sermons for like six, eight weeks, people are, people are gone. He's lost his anointing. I'm not getting fed. Ooh. So when's the pastor supposed to feed you? I thought you were supposed to feed yourself. (laughs) And every pastor in America knows this, that if I don't come with something fresh, if I don't come with something new, they're going to leave me. Now, if God's leading you to leave, hey, no guilt and shame. We bless you as you come and bless you as you go. We love you. But this is the reality for me, all right? I'm bringing you into my mess. That's my reality. So what people do or don't do, remember? King David, you're the man, you're the man, you're the man. And then all of a sudden, David's out raiding, and then a band of raiders come in, and they they go ahead, and they take his wife, they take his kids, and what did the people want to do? They wanted to kill him. Your poor leadership, we're going to stone you to death. Wow, people turn like that? Yeah, they turn like that. At the end of Paul's life, there was a dude named Demas, and he was with him planting churches, but it says in 2 Timothy chapter 4 that Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. And guess what? I'm Demas, by the way in me. We mess up when we think about other people when we read verses. No, no, no. Show me the demons in me. How many times have I been in love with the world and deserted my king? All right. Verse five. It says sustain. Another way to translate that is revive. Sustain, revive, sustain, revive with raisins, with raisins, right? Grapes turn into what? Raisins, so. Okay, that's your phones, right? So Jeremy... So if my phone's going off back there in my bag, you might want to turn that off. What's going on right now? Oh, hey, his banner overused love. If you don't believe it, go find some shelter. It's okay, we're closing our... No, I'm just kidding. There was thunder and lightning yesterday, and and I wanted to go for a run. And my wife's like, you need to not go for a run. Do you think I listened to her? I love running in the lightning and the thunder, man. It is just, it reminds me of the Lord. Because Revelation chapter 4, it says that his throne, his throne, right, is lightning and thunder. Now listen, if you do want to leave, you can. There's no guilt. Let me just say this as well. Um, Upstairs is another 4000 square feet and there's an empty space and a roof. So we've got kind of double protection here, okay? <laughs> but 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 this is what I'm trusting in, not the roof. All right, sustain, revive me with raisins. Grapes so, so there's a hint of wine here, right? Refresh me with apples. Well, apples. Why is apples important? Because in, in verse 3, it says I, 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 he's like an apple tree, right? So it's speaking of him again. And also, also, in chapter 8, we're going to get there, but, but there's, there's apples there again. And so this moment, this moment is a big deal. She's going back to a moment in time where she tasted and she'd seen that God is good. And what did that make her? It made her sick with love. Are you sick with love today? Or is there apathy and complacency? Can you point back to a time, disciple, where you were so overwhelmed with love, but yet it's been months. It's been years. And listen, Here's what Revelation says. Repent and do the works that you first did. Return to your first love. And so, God, make me sick with a love for you. Sick with a love for you. Oh, God, please, I want, I want to taste and see again. Proverbs 25, 11 says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. And his word is always so fitting. And don't, don't be shy about this. God, I need a word for you. I need a fresh word from you. Please, God, please. I want you to understand Ephesians 3.19. It says, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you will be filled with the fullness of God. You're never, ever, Christian, listen to me. You're never, ever, and this is why Paul's praying in Ephesians 6, Ephesians 3, 19. You're never gonna understand the love of God fully on this side of heaven. That should be really, really good news. Why? Because there's more. And these verses, they encourage us to press in more so that we can taste and see that he is good. Verse 6 Your left hand is under my head, and your right hand embraces me. Again, you see this same phrase in chapter 8, verse 3. So why is this important? It's because she is getting to the place where she is becoming fully mature. As you walk with God... Your experiences with God, your experiences with him showing up will begin to mark you so that, that you become fully mature, so that you're, 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 you're not moved off of him. And so let's p- flip over to chapter 8 here. Keep your place. I want you to see this. <coughs> chapter 1 is the immature bride. Chapter 8 is where we're going. Fully mature, fully mature. And so you see this language here, right? Right? Uh, In verse 3, his left hand is under my head. His right hand embraces me. That's the same language in 2.6. Why is that important? Because this doesn't change. She's fully convinced of this. This is a marker in her life. And, And if you look at Chapter 8, verse 5, under the apple tree, I awakened you. 2, 3, she experienced something. She became awake. She became alive. She tasted that he was good. And all of a sudden, these moments in time, they mark her as a foundation for life as she walks in maturity with Christ. She's fully convinced that only Jesus satisfies, only his fruit satisfies. That's why she's sick with love. I'm sick with love. She's also fully convinced of his presence. Are you fully convinced of the presence of God, disciple? Like that he is holding you right now. Look at the gentleness. Back to two, even though it's, again, it's an eight again, but go back to two, verse six. His left hand is under my head. What is that picture of? That is like a tender compassion that I'm holding Your widow pretty head. I'm holding your head. I'm holding your head through it all. Just a tender compassion and a desire for closeness. And then you have, I I encourage you to do, to do a word study on the right arm of the Lord or the arm of the Lord. The arm of the Lord is mighty to save. The arm of the Lord, Isaiah 59 is not too short that it cannot save. And so here here's some verses for you. Just to jot down Psalm 48:10 your right hand is filled with righteousness. The right hand of the Lord is filled with righteousness. Where is Jesus by the way seated at the what? Right hand of God the Father. Psalm 98.1, it says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. That's why it's important that we know that Christ is seated at the right hand of the Lord because the right hand of the Lord worked salvation. It's mighty. It's strong. And this right hand, what is it doing according to verse 6? it's embracing you. The arm that saved you is embracing you. Some of the time, not all the time, there is a closeness. Listen, this is the issue that sometimes we have in the church, right? When I was a new believer, I remember taking this spiritual warfare class and I walked out of there like, oh my gosh, we're at war? I'm getting shot at? And so, for like the next five weeks, I'm like, okay, today, God, I'm putting on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith, the shoes of peace. Yes, Lord, gird up my loins, <laughs> and just so overwhelmed as an enemy. Oh, I'm on your warfare. I'm on spiritual warfare. Right. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter six, and I pray that this changes your perspective of warfare. Because, see, verse 6 is important that you know that he is Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. One of the biggest, and and man, I totally blew it last week in the second service, talking about Santa Claus. (sighs) I'm cool with Santa Claus, guys, but what I was trying to say... (laughs) (laughs) See, (laughs) nobody's going to be at the 11 o'clock service today. (laughs) And we we deleted it. Thank God that we went with the first message last week on on the video. What I was trying to say... I did that to my wife this past week. What I was trying to say, but it was too late. Um, So... Santa Claus kind of gives us a false picture of a God that's away, far off, stoic, and he's tracking whether or not we're naughty or nice. And that picture unfortunately, is how we view God, that God is punitive, that he's like, you did this, okay, now you got to, you know, no, you get coal, you're getting coal. Listen, there's not a Christian in this world that's going to get coal. You know why? Because the wrath of God was satisfied in Christ. There's a reaping and sowing where there is consequences, there's consequences. If I go cheat on my wife, I got to step down from ministry. I'm disqualified according to 1 Timothy chapter 3. My, 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 my job as a pastor, it's gone. Never to return. Never to return. Over. I know that. That's why you need to pray for me, right? Amen. And so <sighs> here in Ephesians 6, Verse 10, finally, be strong in what? In the Lord. Hey, you're not strong. In fact, you're weak. But guess what? We boast in our weakness, and we boast in our weakness. He is what? Strong and in the strength of his might. I have no strength. My enemies are too mighty for me, Psalm 18. But you are the one who delivered me. You are the one who rescued me. So there's this humility and understanding that I don't don't operate out of my own strength. I'm operating in the strength of the Lord and the power of his might. So at times when I just don't feel like it, it doesn't matter what I feel. This strong one has my head, This strong one, his right arm is embracing me. And you're in trouble. You're in trouble. My enemies, you're not my enemies. My enemies are in trouble. Even though I feel like I'm shooting with with water, squirt guns, or Nerf guns. In the spirit, man, I'm coming in the strength of the Lord. Because it's not me, it's Christ in me. And see this belief, this belief, this hope, Colossians 1.27, that it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Christ in you, the hope of glory. God is not out there. God is not out there. Please remember this, church. God is not out there or up there somewhere. He's with you. And when you really believe this, it changes everything. When you walk into the room, you realize I'm not walking in the room alone. I'm walking in the room with the one that I'm yoked up to, and his yoke is easy, his burden is light, and I can rest in him because I'm his beloved, and he is mine, and his head, his head's holding me, his strong right arm, right? Oh, man. You know, so many times I walk up here on Sunday... And on my way in, you know, I'm, I'm trying to worship God, and all of a sudden, oh man, did I did I really put enough time into that point? Did I really put in? And here's what I do. Who cares? Did I study enough? Who cares? Who cares? You know why? Because my trust is in God moving today. Not that we don't study, not that that we don't, because scripture says study to show yourself what? Approved. But, but the trust and the hope is not in the points. The trust and the hope is, it's not in the message. The trust and the hope is in God moving on our corrupt hearts at times and helping us with a gift of faith to believe what he declares over us that he is with us. So finally, back to Ephesians 6. You put on the whole armor that you may be able to stand. So you do need to pull up on the, on the armor. But it's here, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. I want you to put Song of Songs 2.6 over that word wrestle. Here's why. Paul did not use boxing. He did not use shooting arrows. He's describing that there is a demonic war going on right now in your life and the enemy is touching you right now. Yeah. Yeah. Wrestling. Wrestling's touching. And this is what Scripture's saying. Scripture also says, right, that our enemy, he's prowling around like a roaring lion seeking who may devour. Do you realize when Jesus was talking with Peter, you would think that the enemy wouldn't be around. But he's speaking through Peter, and Jesus says to him, hey, get behind me what? Satan. So Satan is always around. Satan came to Jesus in the wilderness. But even though we are wrestling right now in our life with the enemy, understand Song of Songs 2.6. There's one that is holding you. There's one that is stronger, that is with you. And a lot of times where woe is me about the spiritual warfare, if your head is weak, remember who's holding your head. If your arms are tired, remember it's his arms that you're trusting in. I love this passage in 2 Kings 6. 17 and 18. Listen to it, please. Just listen. They were surrounded by an army, and the servant was scared of this army. But then Elisha prayed. He said, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. That's my prayer for you on 2-6. If you don't get anything for the rest of this, that's my prayer for you for 2-6. That God would open our eyes... So we believe that we're always walking in the presence of God because he will never leave us or forsake us. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots and fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against us, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, Please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with this prayer of Elisha. This intimacy, this closeness, it describes her life. She's seeing things in a different way. And a lot of times we need God to open up our minds so we can believe the things that we've quoted over and over and over and over again and even memorize but don't live. He said he will never leave you or forsake you. He said he will never leave you or forsake you. I am with you always, 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 always. You are being held, even if it doesn't feel like it. Are you going to believe your feelings, or are you going to believe the word of God? And there lies the battle, Christian. Do you believe what the king has declared and said, or are your feelings dictating how you're moving? This is why this book is so important, that this stuff becomes a reality, that we're lovesick with our King, who is lovesick over us. That love sent him to the cross. Seven, I adjure you. Song of songs two seven. I adjure you. Or I put you to an oath, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Practical application, hey, if you're in a dating relationship, this verse is for you. Thank you, Antoine. That was funny. Some of y'all must have got convicted. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Don't be stirring up love. Don't start the car if you ain't going to drive it, homie. And you ain't driving until you say, I do. You got you to gotta, you gotta sign the contract on the car. Anyway, verse eight, I'm going to hit seven again at another time. This is repeated, and there's a lot of repetitive stuff. And so, verse eight, the voice, and I want you to highlight the voice, the voice of my beloved. See, each time this bride speaks to Jesus, she says, oh, my beloved, my beloved. And there is a tenderness in that. When you think of God speaking, sometimes we think of fear only. And there is a place for reverence and fear. But there's also a place to understand He is so tender and kind, and He calls you, my beloved, the voice of my beloved. I am my beloved's, and my beloved's is mine. Behold, He comes leaping over the mountains. You want to highlight that, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. I told my wife this week, hey, baby, I want you to start calling me a young stag. There's just something about that. See, Jesus is an active partner. Listen to the first two chapters here, right? He comes, he leaps, he skips, he looks, he stands, he gazes, he speaks. Jesus is an active partner, and he's calling us to himself. This is the abundant life, by the way. The abundant life, even though the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy, we're not focused on that. We're focused on the one who has come that will give us and has given us abundant light. And so life, he comes leaping upon the mountain, skipping upon the hills. Think about a gazelle or a a stag, which is sure-footed on the mountains, just bounding, 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 like it ain't nothing. I don't know about you, but man, I don't bound over hills anymore. I'm a wounded stag, actually. (laughs) I'm like a crippled stag, and I need to take a break. No, this doesn't describe our king. He leaps. He jumps. He skips. Mountains often symbolize obstacles in life. And Jesus is showing her and is going to teach her to speak to those mountains and command them to move. Got this down, Mark 11, 23. Jesus says, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, he will have whatever he says. Mark 11:23. 23. Jesus wants us to skip over the mountains with him, that we don't look at Our past stuff. We don't look at our obstacles. We don't focus on that stuff with a negative aspect like, oh, when am I going to change? Am I always going to be like that? Let me just tell you, that's not the voice of God. The voice of God says, when am I ever going to change? It's Philippians 1 6. And this is why scripture memory is so important. I'll never ever let that thought of when am I going to change rule in me anymore. Why? I've renounced that. I've rejected that. That is not the voice. Of my Jesus. That's not the voice of Jesus. The voice of Jesus is Philippians 1.6. Be confident, Chris. Be confident, church, that he who began a good work in you will complete it. This mountain, it's going to be thrown into the sea. And I can give testimony after testimony after testimony of mountains in my life that I thought I would never conquer. Now that I look back, I don't see them anymore. They've disappeared under the ocean. They've disappeared under the sea. And this is what we're called to, guys. It doesn't mean there won't be pain. It doesn't mean there won't be hardships and hurt. But guess what? Whatever you're going through right now, he wants you to skip with him and leap with him over those trials. And you have to have this heart of expectation and belief that he is good all the time, all the time, through trials, yeah, through temptations and struggles, yeah. Whew what in the world's going on today? Verse nine, behold, there he stands. He stands behind our walls, gazing, gazing through the windows, looking at the lattice. Man, notice our wall in verse nine. It's not my wall. How many walls do we have put up right now for Jesus? We have walls we don't even know about because if he revealed all of our walls we might be too depressed to not get out of bed. We have walls up guys. But guess what they're not your walls anymore you belong to him they're our walls she's starting to understand her identity she's starting to come into a realization of how great her king is and you see this gazing through the windows looking through the lattice remember if we go back to chapter 1 verse 6 what is she like don't gaze at me now she's starting to get comfortable in who she is in christ in the love of her beloved and she's kind of okay with him looking she's okay Not only is she okay, she says in verse 10, my beloved speaks and says to me. I want you to understand this. I want you to go back up to verse 8, chapter 2, verse 8. It says, the voice of my beloved. And then in verse 10, my beloved speaks and says to me. Please write this down. She is so in love that she's memorized what he said to her. She didn't do it out of duty. She's not trying to grow, even though that would be a noble thing. She's not doing it for a degree or for accomplishment. She's not doing it because she wants good doctrine. She's not doing it because of a purity. She's not doing it for anything else but love. I've memorized the voice of my beloved. My beloved speaks and says to me, and now she's going to quote him through the next few verses. Why is she quoting him? This is not him speaking. This is her quoting him because she's in love. She's in love. She's in love. Verse 10, he says, arise, my love, my beautiful one. Man, yeah, she's memorized that. Some of you need to memorize that. This is, by the way, an answer to a prayer in Song of Songs 1-4. Look at 1-4 real quick. It says, draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. And he's saying in verse 10, yeah, arise, my beautiful one. Come on, let's go. Let's do this thing, baby. He speaks tender to her. Come away with me, my love. God wants to be with you just to be with you, Christian. He wants to walk with you like he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. Are you content? Are you content to be, be drawn into this divine romance? Some of us do the work of ministry, but with a slave mentality. How do I know that? I did that for a long time. I'm a slave of Christ. <laughs> In other words, we become task oriented instead of love oriented. So measure yourself throughout your day. Is it task oriented? Is it what you do for God? Or are you so in love that whatever comes, oh, this is going to be great because I get to do it with you? I get to do it with you. And you'll see in chapter 8, she starts running with him and doing things with him, and it just changes everything. I have so much to do. No, we have so much to do. But you're not going to give me more than I can handle, right? Because I don't even need to worry about tomorrow. Today has enough trouble of its own, Matthew 6, 34. See, this is why Scripture memory, and some of us are worrying about tomorrow, when Jesus says, don't do that, and you're disobeying your king because you haven't sat in his words. And he is not mad at you right now, by the way. He loves you. He says, stop it, please. And believe in me. Believe in me. Believe what I say. I got tomorrow. Enjoy our time together today. He says again, come away and 10C. He wants intimacy. He wants love. Come away, come away, come away. Behold the winter's passed the rain is over and gone and so is that tornado <laughs> The flowers appear the time of singing has come the voice of the turtledove <laughs> It's heard in the land And the fig tree ripens its figs and the vines are in blossom they give forth fragrance it's a different season for her She's coming into a new season. Disciple, do you recognize that God may be bringing you in because he delights in you into a new season? See, when winter's happening, snow on the ground, we can't see what's happening in the ground. But things are changing. Things are happening, even though it doesn't look like it's happening. And so are you sensitive to the seasons in your life? And we'll get more into this later. But Jesus did rebuke the people when he came. John four thirty five. there's still four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They're already white for harvest. They're seasons, guys, seasons. Right now, I'm coming into a season that back in 2015, I tried to do something, and it was the wrong time. It was the right thing, but at the wrong time. And now, all of a sudden, God's doing it, and he's doing it without my leadership. Ooh, I really like that. It was the wrong season. I wasn't sensitive. See, in my striving, in my striving, which is rooted in a pride, it's rooted in insecurity. In my performance, which is rooted in a pride, i rooted in a lack of affirmation from my dad, right? A lack of sitting and tasting, seeing and believing what God has. I want to do things for God. No, you're not going to do anything for God. You're going to do things in God. Paul says this, the love of Christ compels me, not my love for Christ. It's the love of Christ that's outworking in me. And he's saying, come away, come away, my beloved. 14, my dove in the clefts of the rock, the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. Look at the, she's memorized this now. Your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Man, the dove speaks of a guileless bird, by the way, if you're taking note. It speaks of purity. It speaks of innocence. It speaks of loyalty. Doves, when their mate dies, they they don't get another mate. It is a one-time shot with a dove, unique in loyalty. You are my one. You're my only one. Doves don't have any peripheral vision. It speaks to a singular focus and devotion. The Holy Spirit was also pictured as an innocent dove. And so he's looking at her with this sincere desire, you are my dove, you are my one, you are my only one. And he's embracing her with a tender affection. He didn't call her a deceitful snake, but he called her his dove. He sees her through the finished work of the cross. And unfortunately, most of us, we can't get past what the cross has done. We live on the wrong side of the cross as Christians. You're forgiven completely. You have his righteousness. It's not your own. What side of the cross are you living on? We're going to show a video right now. And this is, this is my bride, so make sure you, you pay attention, okay? Or else we're going to have some problems.
1: I was born and raised in New Jersey. My earliest memory was me crying in my crib because my parents were fighting. My dad got physically abusive with my mom. My dad was an alcoholic, and as a result, my parents divorced when I was three years old. I never really felt close to my biological dad because when he drank, he would have a bad temper, and I was uncomfortable being around him. My mom remarried when I was six, and at that time, we started going to the Catholic Church. And I'm thankful because it sparked a belief in God for me. Unfortunately, we stopped going to church when I was 13 years old, so I didn't think a lot about God after that. Um, Both of my parents worked hard, so I had a lot of unsupervised free time. And in that time, I pretty much chased after boys, I had a really bad potty mouth, I cussed a lot. I also started experimenting with alcohol at the age of 10. I remember getting invited to a really nice fancy party when I was 13 years old, and I got completely drunk and made a total spectacle of myself. I threw up on myself, I passed out, and I blacked out. I continued drinking all throughout high school. In fact, I partied so much and I had a lot of parties at my house that I was voted class partier out of 300 plus students in my class. I became sexually active at the end of my senior year of high school. After high school, I decided to go to college. I had no idea what I wanted to do, but I did find out that recreation was a college major, so I figured that would be a perfect major for me because I loved to party and I was really good at it. Um, I continued partying and messing around with guys in college. I also joined a sorority. My partying was definitely getting out of control because I was blacking out, I was driving drunk regularly. There were times when I would wake up and not even know where I parked my car. Of course, it seemed as if everybody in college was doing the same exact thing I was doing, so at the time, I didn't think I had a problem. Um, I was dealing with a heartbreak from a relationship, towards the end of my college. And so after I graduated college, I moved to Florida. My very first job in Florida with my newly found college degree was at a resort making a whopping $6 an hour. So needless to say, I needed to get a second job so I could actually pay my bills. (laughs) So I got a job waiting tables and bartending. So at that restaurant, I met a customer who I really liked. Um, We had a very flirtatious relationship. But unfortunately, he wasn't wearing a wedding ring, so I had no idea he was married at the time. Um, Once I found out he was married, I was pretty bummed, but I thought we could at least be friends. But with all of the drinking and partying, one thing led to another. And before I knew it, I was in a full-on adulterous relationship with a married man. It also turned out he had small children. Um, This was definitely not one of my finer moments in my life. Uh, This affair lasted two and a half years, which I always knew was completely wrong, but I really thought I loved him, and somehow I justified it to myself. During that two and a half years, he ended up splitting up with his wife, which I completely felt responsible for. I definitely struggled with guilt and shame after that. But on the other hand, I was also hoping he wanted to have a future with me, but I learned that he wasn't interested in getting married again, which was devastating and heartbreaking to me, so we ended up breaking up. Shortly after, I jumped into a rebound relationship with a new man. We moved in together. It was not a good relationship. We fought for most of the two years we were dating. He ended up cheating on me, so we broke up. At this point, I was pretty sad and unfulfilled in my life, and a thought came to me. I need to find a church. I remember visiting one and liked what the pastor said, but for whatever reason never went back. So that was about the time when I started dabbling in new age stuff. Um, I started to see a psychic, I was messing around with horoscopes, and I was still partying a lot. Um, Also at that time, I had a friend named Cindy Ryan who I just adored. She pursued a friendship with me. She always talked to me about the Lord, which I loved, And she was the only Christian person I knew at the time. So one night, Cindy and her friends were on a mission to get me saved. They took me out to dinner, and they pulled out all of the evangelism techniques. They also took me to a local church. And at the end of the sermon, the pastor called people up to the front to give their life to Jesus. And I remember what he was saying really resonated with me. And I wanted to go up, but I was too prideful, so I didn't. Um, So after the church service, I left Cindy and her friends. They were probably pretty disappointed. And I drove to the beach by myself, and I basically told God, okay, God, I'm all in. I told him that I wanted to give my life to him. I didn't exactly know how to pray at that time, but I knew that my life was about to drastically change, which it did that was january of 1999 i was 31 years old so the next day i knew i was different something i just knew i was different it literally felt like god supernaturally gave me a spiritual heart transplant the first thing i recognized was i had no desire to cuss anymore i just stopped god miraculously took that away from me i had an awful potty mouth like i said earlier And I remember, a few weeks later, I actually fell down the stairs, and not one cuss word came out of my mouth, so I knew (laughs) I had been delivered from cussing. Another change occurred with my belief around abortion. I had a lot of liberal views and was always pro-abortion, but the day after I got saved, I realized that abortion was wrong, and I began to speak out against it. Unfortunately, because of this and the fact that everyone thought Colleen had now become religious, uh, it caused a lot of my friends to walk away from me. Another profound change was my view on premarital sex. Um, Literally overnight, I woke up understanding that sex outside of marriage was sin, and I knew that the next time I would have sex again would be on my wedding night, which is what God did. So when I got saved, I had no Christian friends except for Cindy. So I prayed for some because that's what Cindy told me to do, just pray for some. So the Lord answered my prayer pretty quickly. I found a new Christian friend group, and uh, they had invited me to join in in an accountability group and a prayer group. And in that group for a whole year, I learned how to pray. And I also saw God answer so many of my prayers, which helped build my faith a ton. Um... So with all of these lifestyle changes, one more thing needed to go, and that was my reckless partying. This happened when I began volunteering at Urban Youth Impact. When I started volunteering with the teenage girls, God convicted me that I couldn't be a hypocrite anymore, and I had to give up the partying, which I did. Again, that was totally another miracle, um, and God was just so good to do that to me, or for me. When I started volunteering at Urban Youth Impact, I began to have discipleship and accountability in my life. And so my life began to drastically change. And the very best thing that happened to me when I began to volunteer for Urban Youth Impact was I met my awesome husband, Chris Truss. But that's another story for another time. So if you wanna know more about that, you need to come check out our singles class. So in conclusion, I believe we all have a God-shaped hole in our heart and for the first 31 years of my life, I tried to fill that hole with all kinds of things that did not satisfy. On the path that I was on, I would have continued to have broken relationships. Um, I'm sure I would have perhaps gotten more involved with the occult or a false religion, and I definitely think I would have been an alcoholic for sure. Um, Everything left me broken and unsatisfied and wanting more. Um, but through my relationship with Jesus, he has filled that empty place inside of me, and he has healed my wounds, and he has changed me, and I am completely satisfied in him. If you have never said, I'm all in with you, Jesus, I would encourage you to do that today because it was the best decision I ever made, and I've never met anyone who ever regretted surrendering their life to him.
0: Mm. Worship team, prayer partners, come on up. Sweetie, thank you for sharing your, your, uh, your story with us. Um, I have, I snagged this on my way out. It's a, uh, and back in the day I had some skills. I took some paper, I burned the edges. It's 20 years ago. To my queen, this little rose bush, I guess I brought her flowers. It reminds me of you. Your petals are delicate and soft. And when you open up, your beauty is breathtaking. And at times, I'm even overwhelmed by it. I can see what is coming. You are about to bloom. I pray that God would give me wisdom to care for you, to protect you, to lead you, and to develop your beauty. It is going to happen. I can see that the best is yet to come. I love you, Chris. 20 years later, it has come. It has come. And here's the deal the pastor's wife had an affair that broke up a family with kids. How do you think that shame is having in her life? What what do you think is happening? Well, let me tell you something that shame is gone. That's not who she is. She's on the other side of the cross. And today I pray that you would really, really hear and begin to memorize the voice of Jesus. You've got to do this. You've got to do this. You've got to get on the other side of the cross, Christian. Your past doesn't define you. It doesn't define you. That is not who you are anymore. This is who you are. And he says, hey, come away with me. Come away with me. I'm looking at you. I'm gazing at you. You want to put up a wall? I don't really care. It's our wall. It's our wall. And it's going to come down. I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm gazing. I want you. Hey, let me see your face. Come out of the clefts of the rock. No more hiding. Come on out. Your face is lovely. Your voice is beautiful. Come on. Come on. You are my dove. You are my only one. I love you. And let the love of God overwhelm you So shame has no place. Shame has no place. I'm doing a study right now. Shame is the root of narcissism. Don't focus on someone's narcissism. Go after that root of shame. When that root of shame is healed, the narcissism will be healed. So the altars are open. You have a God shaped hole inside of you that Jesus wants to fill he wants to transform your life and listen today like I am just so overwhelmed with a joy right now in my heart because my son's wearing that blue hat right there and my daughter's holding the violin and they're both worshiping Jesus There's no greater joy than we see our children walking in the truth like there's no greater joy. And look at what God did out of my beautiful bride's life, the class partier, the alcoholic, the one that was just right. Now she's a pastor's wife, and now listen, I see her. It's funny yesterday. I'm sorry, I'm gonna go a little bit more. In chapter 8, it says your companions, they're listening to your voice. See, my wife, she gets calls all the time from people that are going through stuff, struggling with stuff. I need to talk to you. I'm overwhelmed about this. Okay, let's talk about this. My companions are listening for your voice. She is blooming. She is blossoming. Christ is doing this. She has this fragrance and aroma about her. It's what Christ has done. He took what was shameful. He took what was kind of just despicable, right, and looked down on, and he's made her so beautiful he's no respecter of persons and so if you've been walking in shame and guilt and condemnation come on forward if you have a hole inside of your heart and you want jesus to come and fill it come forward we want to pray for you today let's pray and focus on jesus lord we love you we thank you for the testimony of how you continue to exchange ashes for beauty ashes for beauty ashes for beauty thank you Jesus you have made us beautiful you've taken the ashes the things that were burned up and you have declared you are my beautiful one you are my beautiful one I'm looking through the cross at you I'm not looking at your past those are that's nailed to the cross I love you for you. So God, I pray that you would move by the power of your Holy Spirit in this place, overwhelm us with your love, and draw us into you now. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.